Hello, Saints. Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. Uh, And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing uh, happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not, in Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Does sin defile a saved person? Does sin jeopardize the state, the standing with God of a saved person? That's a big question that we must ask and peer into Holy Scripture in order to apprehend the truth of God, because he sure does say a whole lot about that. Now, before we get into this, I want to remind you, friends, that there is no work on the earth transpiring uh, that is more important or even nearly as important as the work of God, the work of the gospel, feeding the sheep of Christ and reaching lost souls with the word of God and the command of God to repent. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my job uh, is to make sure people are alerted, if you will, on my post uh, here as one of the laborers of Christ uh, to have the opportunity to help support the outreach, the work of the ministry, so that we can all be about our Father's business, each of us doing uh, our part. We are. I should say many thousands are being reached every day with the word of God, that Jesus Christ is the only answer and the cardinal doctrines of the original gospel of Jesus Christ. And your support is uh, very much needed, saints. I must share that with you, your prayers and support. And uh, they go a long way. Paul said to the Philippians that It was the prayers of the saints that caused the supply of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, to fuel his life and the ministry of Christ, which he had just said two verses before that, that he was set for the defense of the gospel. And that's one of the things we engage in. We are going to preach, warn, and teach according to the apostolic model we find in Colossians 1.28. Paul said he did three things to prepare the body of Christ to meet Christ, and that was to preach, warn, teach, PWT. And the place I was just quoting out of is Philippians 1, verse 17 and verse 19. Paul said this in verse, after he said he set for the defense of the faith, he said, for I know this, that this shall turn to my salvation or my deliverance and blessing through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, thank you so much for your prayers and and your support. It's so much needed. You can give one time or set up uh, a monthly offering that would be greatly appreciated. In fact, just moments ago, I have a young man that's ministry uh, focused 
uh, new to the ministry as we have every day new people. Anyway, this man is trying to get some of the scripture-rich uh, books from uh, the ministry, which are on Safeguard Your Soul. And to be honest with you, we are, don't have the means to get that to him at this time and hope that that will change very soon. Okay, to our message, does sin defile a saved person? Recently, I was quickened to approach a certain group of pastors about a young pastor that works with them. Uh, and regrettably, there was zero concern in these older pastors concerning the blatant sin of the uh, younger pastor. In fact, they wouldn't even respond to my gentle, loving request to communicate with them, which I didn't even go into much detail about. Uh, be assured that my my approach to them, was, again, was gentle, it was biblical, and it was with a desire to restore. Several Christian friends read the, my interaction, or there was no interaction, my letters to the pastor, and now two pastors that I've uh, approached, and uh, they thought they were really right on the money, very gentle, loving, and None of these guys would contact me. This, there's been four emails so far, and, and there was phone calls, too. And these guys have no interest in even talking to somebody that's calling them. How do they know? I don't understand what's going on there. But this is very concerning. These men are pastors. And this group of pastors refuse to even respond. Uh I, I'm guessing that if I, I approached them and sent them an email or left them a, a message by phone that I had a large financial donation that I wanted to find out how to give, I guarantee you I would have gotten a response. And that's very sad because they're caring more for the dollar than they are for the eternal souls of those under their care. Now, does sin defile a person? John Wesley said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell. Amen. Jesus taught Matthew, excuse me, Mark 7, 20 through 23, uh, that sin defiles a man. He said this, and he said that that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man for from within, now he goes into specifics, out of the heart of men proceed what? Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. So it looks like 13 sins he lists. And he says, all these things come from within. And watch this defile and they defile the man. Mark 7, 20 through 23. Jesus is teaching right here specifically that sin defiles a person. He didn't say, oh, but if they're already saved and they're excused from all sin, no, they're more accountable. You know, let me throw this in there because I've been dealing with this uh, recently uh, with these antichrist dispensationalists I don't know if you guys have run into these animals, but they are some foolish uh, pawns of the devil, that's for sure. And I said, and I meant it, they, they are antichrist. Let me tell you how they're antichrist. Anti means in place of or against Christ. They openly, brazenly discount 
and ignore the teaching uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ that they claim to be serving. They teach that the four Gospels do not apply to New Testament believers. Absolutely unbelievable that anyone could believe this. They don't want to deal. Here's the reason why. Because they don't want to deal with the hard truths of the Son of God in those Gospels. And they don't want that Gospel. And they try to tell you that Paul gave us another Gospel, which he didn't. It all goes together. And it's very consistent, by the way, between the message of Jesus and his apostles. In fact, in Acts 2.42, it says that the earliest believers continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is the apostles' doctrine? The apostles' doctrine is the doctrine of Christ that he gave to his apostles and they gave to the world. No different than when he fed the 5,000, he prayed, lifted the bread to heaven, and broke the bread, and God the Father, through Christ, blessed it and multiplied it. And Jesus didn't give it directly to the people. He gave it to his 12 apostles, and they gave it to the people. And that's what the apostles' doctrine is, that the, the apostles of Jesus gave to the world the doctrines of Christ. You see, but dispensationalists are moral cowards. And they go to the furthest lengths to alleviate any personal responsibility upon themselves or those that hear them. These are classic false teachers. They don't want to deal with these hard truths of the, of the Gospels. So instead, they choose to deify the apostle, a mere man, Paul, who also said of himself that he was less than the least of all saints and that there was no good thing that dwelled in him. Romans 7.18, Ephesians 3.8. And so they dismiss also the writings of Peter and John. They teach that the only thing that applies to New Testament believers uh, is that between Romans and Philemon. In other words, the 13 books that the Apostle Paul wrote. So they discount and dismiss the other 14 books of the 27 book New, New Testament canon. The canon of the New Testament contains 27 books. So what they're doing is indicting God as being a fool and including 14 books, that's more than half, of the 27 in the New Testament canon that don't belong there and don't apply to New Testament believers. And let me just say this for the record, the New Testament tells us that reading the Old Testament even is for our learning. Unbelievable that people would be so gullible and so godless to buy into this package. So they dismiss, they completely dismiss the teachings of Christ, the apostles Peter and John. You remember Peter wrote First Peter and Second Peter. That's eight chapters right there. They completely dismiss from being applicable to New Testament believers. And the apostle John wrote First John, Second John, Third John, and Revelation. So they completely discount that that applies to us. The book of Hebrews, they say, is only for Hebrew Christians. So they're, what they're doing is teaching that there's two Gospels, not one. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, God has made, uh, Jesus made two, uh, one body out of both Gentiles and Jews. That's a foundational, elementary uh, 
doctrine of the Christian faith. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone. That one gospel is the gospel of Christ. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So beware of these dispensational devils. It is a cult. And again, notice what the common denominator is. <laughs> they don't want to deal with the seven letters. Think about it. Take a step back. What's the governing principle behind these beguilers? They don't want to deal with the seven letters of Jesus to the, the churches of Asia. The seventh of which probably most applies now in this last day, where he says he is going to spew out of his mouth anyone who's lukewarm. He's talking to the church. Again, these are moral cowards who constantly look for ways to alleviate any personal responsibility. That's the reason why people want to believe in a pre-trib rapture, whether it's true or not. The principle is the reason why they want to believe it is because they don't want to go through any tribulation. They don't want to suffer. They don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to give up their life in this world is what it what it boils down to. Paul calls these people the enemies of the cross of Christ because their God is their belly. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. They don't want to deal with that. They don't want to deal with the first of the seventh letters where Jesus said that the Ephesians had left their first love and they were in need of repentance. They don't want to deal with the book of Hebrews because everyone, there are so many refutations, so many dismantling chapters and verses in the book of Hebrews, uh, of the even the slightest possibility that eternal security and once saved, always saved could be true. They don't want to deal with that. The cardinal doctrine that they teach, uh, these heretics, is the once saved, always saved. That is the pinnacle pet doctrine, the false doctrine, the lie of the ages, the lie of the devil, the first lie he told the mankind, that you shall not surely die. But God had said, you shall surely die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate of it and they died. They, that means separation. Okay. <clears throat> they were separated from God. He moved them out of the Garden of Eden. Okay. And they were naked. And he pro provides redemption, but only for those who repent and believe on him. You see, but this is the first lie of Satan, which led to the fall of mankind by adding one three-letter word. When Satan said, you shall not, notice the word not, he inserted that, he added that, surely die. You shall not surely die. But God said, you would surely die. So somebody's lying and it's not God, it's Satan. And if there, if, if there is such thing as the doctrines of devils, which Paul said there is in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, then once saved, always saved is the cardinal doctrine of Satan. And it also, and it's caused the fall of millions who had gotten saved and fell away, which Jesus said you could do. He invented the term fall away, Luke 8, 13. Okay, so it, Jesus is not a lunatic. You are, if you think, if you're going to go ahead and say you can't fall away after being saved, you're a liar, not the son of God. But these people are brazen. I mean, they are so brazen. And so this Johnny-come-lately dispensation, first of all, God never told us. No one in Scripture told you to view the Bible through dispensations. Okay, it only appears that word four times in the New Testament. Anyway, I won't go all into that, but I did want to point out that what these guys are doing is trying to alleviate personal responsibility. 
And that's what the once saved, always saved uh, mob is always trying to do is go ahead and alleviate any personal responsibility. They, they got saved, so supposedly. And let's say they really did, but they don't want to bother. They don't want to be bothered with Jesus or obeying, loving and abiding in a fellowship with him on his terms, which are written from Matthew specifically to Revelation. They don't want any part of that. But you see, God's law, God's word, see, no man is above the law. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar is going to come down hard on them. And it's going to be an eternal punishment for those who die in their sin after being saved. They are defiled, Jesus said. And he lists, I think we counted 13 sins, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. Anybody who hates is a murderer, according to 1 John 3, 15. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness. And by the way, anybody who doesn't forgive somebody else is a murderer in the eyes of a holy God. Anyone who looks on a woman to lust has already committed adultery in his heart, and he's guilty of adultery, and he is defiled in the eyes of a holy God. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, or license for sin. That's what these grace perverters teach. An evil eye, always casting bad attitudes and viewing other people with bad attitudes and always looking for the evil instead of the good in others. That's what Jesus is talking about uh, in part when he says an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, that is, in the heart, and defile the man, and you shall know them by their fruits. If you're living in sin, you've got a wicked heart, and you're not. it's not going to change until you admit it, and you're defiled in the eyes of a holy God. Mark 7, 20 through 23. I'm amazed at the conversations I have on a regular basis where people get called out because they're teaching false doctrine. And then they're going to turn around and say, you don't know my heart. We sure do know your heart. The problem is you're blinded from it and are in need of repentance before it's too late. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're teaching false doctrine, what does that tell us? Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. Okay. The fruit of false doctrine. You are a counterfeit. You are an antichrist. You're wicked in the eyes of God. You're an enemy of the cross of Christ. Okay, how do I know that when I don't even know you? Because you're teaching false doctrine. Okay, and I'm not going to bid God speak to it or condone and support it. I'm going to rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. Titus 1.13, and that's what true disciples do. When they see false doctrine, they confront it head on and they rebuke it. And uh, so that these people can be put on notice and marked if they don't repent, Romans 16, 17, and 18, and Titus 1, 13, and departed from and rejected as swine if they don't repent. They're heretics, Titus 1, 13, and Titus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Okay, that's the instructions of Scripture, and we must obey God, and irregardless of how man is going to respond. Notice Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. So if evil is coming out of somebody's heart, if they're writing or speaking things that are a, a, a violation of and contrary to the word of God, 
They're preaching another gospel. And the Bible says that they're accursed. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. It's clear that these pastors I spoke about earlier that uh, would not respond to my uh, emails to, to, and phone calls to try to touch base with them. Uh, they have no concern for their own souls, obviously, apparently, and much less for anyone else's. That young man that is in the ministry under them uh, is being is defiled by sin and is in need of help. And they could care less to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. These men are not ministers, folks. These men are wolves. And their fruit makes that really clear. Jesus said, you shall know them how by their fruit, not how they not by what they put themselves off to be or their position, but by their fruit. Matthew 7, 16 and 20. They had no desire so far. They have shown no desire to help this young man. The remedy is very simple in this case. To restore this young man. Uh, one conversation and prayer will be bring complete solution, divine solution to this. And that's what men of God are to do. They are to bring restoration. Paul talked about that. Jesus talked about that. James talked about that. He said, you'll save a soul from death. In James 5, 19 and 20, when you uh, obey God and you are used of God, we should pray this way. To help restore those who err from the truth. When you convert him, let, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Notice, shall save his soul from death. And that goes back to our main topic. Can a saved person then become defiled? And the answer is absolutely yes. Okay, notice Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, this is reserved for those who are spiritually mature. And let me say this. It's proof that you're spiritually mature when you realize that the greatest sin on the earth that you should be most concerned about is your own, not someone else's. Okay, and that alone tells us that a mature person is not out to nitpick and go, see with an evil eye how many sins he can see in other people's lives. No, why? Because he says, like Job 19, 28, the root of the matter is in me. No one needs Jesus more than me is the disposition, this disposition of the mature disciple of Christ. Paul said, there is no good thing that dwelleth in me that is in my flesh. That is, in other words, nothing good but Christ dwells in him. Until you come to that place, that's Romans 7, 18, you are not a mature believer and have no business trying to correct anybody else. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, that means spiritually mature, restore, don't judge and condemn. That's the, the goal is to restore, restore such a one in this. Notice how we were to restore them in the spirit of meekness. Watch this. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted good way to get yourself the rug pulled, if you will, on yourself is to go wrongly judge somebody else. 
God will make sure you fall into the same sin that you've been judging them wrongly for. Even if you're correct about them being in sin, if you're not spiritually mature and not examining your own life before God and crying out in repentance and for cleansing every day to the Lord, Psalm 51, etc., and for the Lord to create in you a clean heart, renew a right spirit in you, and to cleanse you from secret faults and presumptuous sins, etc., Psalm 19, 12, and 13, uh, then you have no bit, you're not a mature believer. God is not leading you to correct anyone except yourself. Then he says, verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now that's in the context. That that applies across the board. Amen. That's the golden rule. Help others out. Um, elevate others above yourself. That's the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. But in this case, not it, it applies across the board uh, to believers to be a blessing to other members of the body of Christ, etc. But also, we're to bear one another's burdens when somebody is overtaken in a fall. And in doing so, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. And that law is that Christ came while we were yet sinners and died on the cross for our sins. So may God give us wisdom on how to rightly divide and properly apply his word. Okay, and I can tell you that the dispensationalists have not done that, and they have butchered the Word of God and are sending themselves and many others to hell. Uh, you you don't have the permission from heaven to decide which books or parts of the New Testament canon apply to New Testament believers. In fact, Revelation 22, 18 and 19 tells us that he, God has taken those people's names out of the book of life for taking away from his word. They have taken away more than half of the New Testament. Unbelievable. If you take any part, especially of the New Testament, or any of his word, okay, uh, then you, your name, is going to be blotted out of the book of life. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. So these pastors, going back to these pastors, they refuse to even be bothered, apparently, uh, in part, due to being so busy with church business, if you will, the business of the church, uh, in their deceived eyes, since we are all saved by grace, obviously, uh, sin no longer defiles anybody or jeopardizes their eternal soul, which is a lie from hell. This scenario... Uh, this crass, brazen, ignoring uh, and disregard of these pastors to help a younger pastor, a younger Christian guy be delivered and, you know, get forgiven and, and be restored. Uh, seems, it sounds like to me what Isaiah prophesied or foretold and spoke about when he exposed the false prophets of Israel. And remember, 9.16, Isaiah 9.16 says, It's the leaders of this people that cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Err means go into error. And then that's that's Isaiah 9.16. I want you to memorize that. It's the leaders that are misleading people. But yet the people are just as responsible because they have a Bible. Okay, and the reason why people get deceived, one of the biggest reasons, because they don't study the Word of God organically for themselves. 
They're not Berean, Berean believers, discerning and weighing everything in the balance of what Holy Scripture says. As soon as you start hearing these dispensational devils, because look, they're King James guys. Okay, a lot of these Baptist community churches are involved in this cult, part of this cult. Uh, and they, they go by the King James. And man, they're 90% right on the money. But they believe the uh, the cardinal heresy of once saved, always saved. And then they believe the other things I've been telling you about dispensationalists. That they, they decided, they decided, <laughs> interesting, not God, but them, that 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament don't apply to New Testament believers. They're just there for window dressing, I guess. These people are delusional. They couldn't be more deceived. False teachers. So Isaiah says this, okay, and this reminds me of how these pastors are acting that were approached to help a young man be delivered. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 56, 10 through 12. Listen to this. His watchman, he's talking about Israel, that which claimed to be God's people. His watchmen are blind. They are ignorant. They are all, listen to the illustration here. They are all dumb dogs. You ever see a dog that just lays there lazily all day long, barely opens his eyes? Notice they cannot bark. That that refers to they can't give a warning. They aren't vigilant. They aren't on alert. They aren't watching and praying. They're dead. They're asleep. They're way beyond lukewarm. They're twice dead and plucked up by the roots, as Jude put it. They cannot bark. They're all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, there it is, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which cannot, excuse me, can never have enough. See, greedy. They live in gated communities, a lot of them. They're living very high off the hog at the expense of the people, and they don't even care for their souls. And notice he goes on, he says, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They're blinded due to their own rebellion and refusal to repent. Because when you repent, God removes the veil that blinds you and opens your understanding. 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 16. Then he goes on, he says, they all look to their own way. Amen. Their God is their belly, Paul said, Philippians 3, 18 and 19. They all look to their own way. It's only about them. Everyone for his own gain. There it is. Self-serving agenda to enrich themselves. Then Isaiah says, from his quarter. In other words, me and my four no more. Really in their hearts, even though they put out a front of being loving and caring. And they got these so-called Bible and seminary degrees. When it comes down to it, the fruit, when you discern it correctly, they don't care about anybody else but themselves. Then he says in verse 12, the last verse here, Come ye, they say, I will fetch wine and will fill, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. We'll just stay in the state, con- continuing to be spiritually intoxicated and deluded. And then he says, and tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. They have no fear of God, no fear of the return of Christ, no fear of judgment. And we're going to get to more of that in a moment. 
So many of today's men who pose as pastors, beloved saints, beware. They're sadly, brazenly greedy, self-serving, blinded, lazy, crassly unconcerned, and they cannot warn. They and those they devour are in danger of eternal damnation unless they awake to repentance or in repentance. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. So God wants us to deal with sin, not only in our own lives, but to help others. Okay? And sometimes they got to help them on their way with a swift kick in the butt, like the fornicator who wouldn't repent in 1 Corinthians 5. And what happened when he was kicked out? Okay, and the approval of the body of Christ was taken off of him, and he was turned over to the devil, 1 Corinthians 5. Well, this man in particular, thank God, he repented. 2 Corinthians 2 records the, the recovery the, uh, of this man, that his soul was saved from death. But it wasn't until he was made to feel that rejection. You see, the early church understood that sin separates men from God. It defiles a man. What about all the language in the New Testament about defiled garments? Jesus taught it. We read about it in Acts chapter 19. Remember that? Starting in about verse 7. Notice this. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Amen. And he saith unto them, Right, blessed are they that are, are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, notice they were arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now, do we remember... When Jesus was speaking, where Jesus is giving the parable of the wedding feast, uh, and he says in verse 5, Matthew 22, they made light of it. They made light of it. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And one of the things they did, they made light of the terms of the agreement, just like the five foolish virgins Jesus talked about here in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse uh, 1 through 13, they made light of the bridegroom's terms, if you will. See, we, we must serve God on his terms, and those terms are given us in the Bible, and false teachers are designed, and they come by way of Satan himself, to deceive you out of the clear understanding and rightly dividing of the Word of God, which is self-interpretive, 
and it's taught by the Holy Spirit to the true born-again believer. And the important thing, one of the important elements there is you must study to show yourself approved unto God. Yourself do organic study of the Word of God, that which does not include man, okay, because man can mislead you. Jesus said, beware of men. He also said, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are devouring wolves. They got the warm looking smile. They've got the seminary degree. They've got a church building where people come on Sunday morning. That doesn't that that right there should make you even more suspect. So in this parable of the wedding feast, he says, and he saith unto, saith unto them, unto him, Friend, how camest thou in thither? not having a wedding garment, and he was speechless. So, so upon seeing a man come into the wedding feast without a wedding garment, the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many be called, but few chosen it's important, again, to do things on Christ, on God's terms, and not our own, lest we be cast out of his kingdom. Some people, in fact, all people who believe once saved, always saved, or eternal security, same thing, uh, don't believe God, the Almighty, has the ability or the right to kick somebody out of his kingdom. But the Bible clearly says otherwise over and over. The wages of sin is still death, my friends. And again, we're talking about can a believer become defiled uh, by sin after they've been saved and be in jeopardy of losing their eternal place with God? The clear answer from Scripture is a resounding yes. Uh, contrary to what the majority of those who are, are set up as Christian leaders uh, say or teach, sin must be reckoned with. It must be acknowledged. It must be admitted by name. Read the King James Bible, by the way. And there's a reason for that. And confess, these sins must be confessed in a true repentance of heart. Notice 1 John 1, 9, if, notice if, it's conditional. <clears throat> if always denotes condition. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God requires that you acknowledge any sin before him and confess it to him for just what it is, a sin. And I want to encourage you to say it by name before the Lord as you cry out to him in returning to him in repentance and confession of your sins. Whether they say it outrightly or not, most in Christian leadership today in the modern, the apostate modern church world, clearly believe and live like there's no consequences for sin, especially uh, the eternal punishment that lies ahead for all who are lost, all who die in sin, all backslidden Christians, if you will, all people who were once saved and now are living in a lukewarm, sinful lifestyle. So in Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet captures the essence of the degeneracy of the, the depravity of such people who were once right with God and then what they have become through the hardness of heart. 
The deceitfulness of sin brings hardness of heart. According to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, notice Jeremiah 5, 12. They, beli- they have belied the Lord. They lied on God. In other words, they bore false witness. They spoke contrary to his word, which is exactly <clears throat> what those who believe in eternal security are doing. They're belying the Lord. They're speaking contrary to his word. They're bearing false witness against the Almighty. And this is what they said. They have belied the Lord, Jeremiah said, and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword, that means judgment, nor famine, again, judgment. So when Isaiah issued forth and spoke the word of God, warning these people, they said, that's not God. That's how many... How it happens in conversations when you, when many of you out there are earnestly contending for the faith, Jude 3, you're set for the defense of the gospel, you're declaring the truth, you're warning people with scripture. It's not your judgment, it's God's, amen. That's why we preach the word, the word, not any other word that we think we got from God or that our ideas or notions. We must be crucified with Christ and lay an axe to the root of all of that. So we just do what Paul said to Timothy and to us, preach the word. We study the word, we preach the word. Okay, and when we do, people are going to say, oh no, God didn't say that. That's exactly what Jeremiah is saying to them. It is not he, they said. There's no evil coming upon us. We're judgment proof. So see, as we see in this verse, Jeremiah 5.12, in the days of the prophet Jeremiah, when the people of God who claimed to be serving him were living in sin, uh, the servant of the Lord tells on them. He reveals what's really going on. He reveals that in their deceived hearts, they had the crass attitude, the false notion that they were judgment proof and that sin was not going to separate them from God. In fact, let me ask you something, my friend. How many times have you heard a preacher in the last 10 years even quote or bring any attention to, even the slightest attention to, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, or and or Revelation 4, 8, which says that God says he's, and the angel said that he's holy, holy, holy. Wow. I can tell you that I can count on one hand, maybe one finger, maybe, when I've heard any man preach those verses, and that is a shame. You see, because people are intentionally dodging that because they don't care about God. They care about finding things in the Bible and dodging the things they don't like so that they can tailor make their little messages, not to convict anybody, God forbid, See, they're not making ready a people for the Lord. They're using those people like the uh, the false prophets, Jeremiah uh, cites in Jeremiah 23 for their own self-serving gain. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles uh, cited the, the false teachers for the same thing. If those men cared about the souls of those they ministered to, they would be warning them from the Lord. Ezekiel 3, warn them from me. Read my word, devour it, and warn them from me. Ezekiel chapter 3, that's what we're to be doing, is devouring the scroll 
of the Word of God, if you will, to eat it and to warn them from God. Okay, notice Psalm chapter 5, verse 4. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. That's as plain as it can be. God does not have pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with him. So you're saying somebody got saved, and yet they die in sin. Okay, and you're saying God's going to dwell with them? For all eternity, you are absolutely a heretic if you believe that. You don't have a clue and don't care to, apparently, of Bible truth. Notice Revelation 21, 8, verse 7, Revelation 21. He that overcometh, talking to the church when he says this, he says it seven times, once to every one of the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. Notice 21, 7 and 8, Revelation he that overcometh shall inherit all things. Notice, those who overcome, that's a condition. How do you do that? You love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You trust God. You abide in Christ. Some people get so upset that you would dare put upon them any personal responsibility. You have got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. You're telling me that if a man is engaged to be married to a woman, the bridegroom and the body of Christ is pictured there. That that woman could do anything she wants before they married, and he's still going to marry her? I don't think so. Jesus Christ isn't marrying a sinful bride, a whore. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, notice, that means the timid, the cowardly, isn't that interesting? That's the first class of sinners mentioned in this list. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, hmm, pharmakia, dealing with drugs and witchcraft, it's rampant on the earth today. We wrote an article, it's on safeguardyoursoul.com, recently exposing mood drugs you might want to take a look at that. Just look up mood, M-O-O-D, in the search box. Whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And notice he didn't say, oh, wait, if you've been saved, none of that is found here. If you've been saved, all of that's forgiving, forgiven automatically. No. Not only is it not forgiven, you're more responsible after you're saved by the blood of Jesus to remain in Christ than they were under Moses' law. Did you know that? Not only are you not less responsible, you're more responsible under the new covenant than they were under the old covenant. And this is a chapter, this is a book that the dispensationalists hate. And it's speaking to, Hebrews is speaking to holy brethren. That applies to all the holy brethren. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Okay, they say this is for the Jews. Absolute heresy. And there's a reason for that. These are, Again, these are moral cowards that do not want to take personal responsibility. They refuse to truly repent and lay down their lives and bear good fruit in this, in this life. Okay, they want to 
cruise control uh, ticket to heaven, and they're going to be sadly shocked in the end. Notice Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Watch this. Of how much sorer, in other words, more severe, punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, hello, an unholy thing and hath done despite to the, unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance is mine, excuse me, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, I will repay, that is, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is a powerful statement. Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And he's warning us that under the old covenant, before Jesus actually came and shed his blood, under Moses' law, those that despised Moses' law, they did not obey God died without mercy. These are the actual children of Israel. In one instance, Numbers 16, 2,500, that's 2,500 of them. The ground opened up under them as God did it. And they went straight into hell. Number 16, go read it for yourself. That was God's own people who rebelled. Okay. And he's saying here, now that the blood of Christ has been shed. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. They will receive sorer. You, you've heard the word sore. In other words, more severe punishment. They will be thought worthy of that. God will wreck, will deal out, will mete out to them. Because they've trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith they were sanctified. That means they were saved and set apart an unholy thing and they have done despite unto the Holy Spirit of grace. Amen. Uh, and any person who believes this demonic heresy of an unconditional eternal security will not fear God or take sin seriously as God does. Because why? He's holy, holy, holy. Okay. And that's why we see men, these pastors, okay, who are being approached to try to help a young man to be restored, they could care less. They have no heart for it. False teachers are known by their fruit. The fact that they treat sin lightly uh, is bad fruit. They promise peace to those who aren't abiding in Christ, aren't truly living holy, which means separated unto God. Jeremiah 23, which is all about false leaders, verse 17, they say still unto them that despise me. In other words, these false leaders, this is how they approach, this is how they address the people of God, if you will. They say still unto them that despise me. That is, those who claim to be saved, who were once walking with God, 
but yet now they're living in sin. They say still unto those that despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. Wow. That is exactly what once saved, always saved is. It's just different words. It's the same message. No evil shall come upon you. You're eternally secure. You're once in grace, always in grace. Total false teaching. See, false teachers, my friend, promise unconditional eternal security. Not God. God never promised anyone he saved that they're going to be in heaven no matter what after he saved them, no matter how they live. He said you must endure to the end to be saved. You must abide with him, in him, uh, John 15, 6, or you're going to be cast into the fire. Of the ten virgins, the kingdom of heaven was likened unto, only five entered into the bridal chamber, the eternal city, if you will, the new Jerusalem with Jesus into eternal glory. The other five were shut out and vanquished. They're going to the lake of fire, like all rebels. Notice 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Again, we're answering the question with Scripture. Does sin defile and separate someone who has been saved? And the answer is clearly yes. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwell in you? If any man, uh uh-oh, he's telling us that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to warn us. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. The Holy Spirit, through Jude, makes it clear that true men of God pull sinners out of the sin that would lead them to eternal fire. They don't lead them in sin, knowing they will burn if they die in sin. Notice, Jude, verse 23, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Notice the garment spotted by the flesh. He gave us pure white garments when he saved us. Do we have stains and spots on our garment? The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, that Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or blemish or any such thing, but one that is holy. And without blemish. Okay, Romans 6, 1 and 2, and verse 23. God's grace didn't change his definition of sin. Sin still defiles the garments and mars the pure white robe of righteousness he gave us upon saving us. The wages of sin, my friend, are still is still death. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, Paul asks a rhetorical question and he answers it. Is saving grace still going to abound toward us? Is it still going to be something we are appropriating and something in our lives that we are possessed by or possess? If we live in sin, God forbid. No. Not at all. Romans 6, 1 and 2. God's not going to dwell with somebody or anybody who lives in sin. He's holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, 3 and Revelation 4, 8 tell us that. Psalm 5, 4. And I'm going to close here. 
For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Could it be any clearer than that? God doesn't have pleasure in wickedness. He's not going to dwell with anyone that has that retained, chosen to retain evil in their life. See, these false teachers who teach you that sin does not defile you because you were once saved are exactly who the Holy Spirit was pointing out through the through Jude, the writer of the one chapter book of Jude. And we are to earnestly contend against them and for the original gospel, Jude verse 3 and 4. Listen to verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares or undetected who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. What kind of men are they? Ungodly men. Why? They're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, that is, a license to sin and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do they deny him? They teach, they simply teach contrary to what he said in his word. Now, notice what the Bible says about grace. Here's what scripture reveals about the saving grace of Christ. And that is that it's not a license for sin, but rather the divine power of God to live a holy or separated life unto God, ready for the return of Christ. Titus 2, 11 through 14. I want you to know this passage, my friend. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, beginning, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God. What is he talking about here? The grace of God. There it is. Who, what, why, when, and where. Ask it when you're reading scripture. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Amen. We know that we cannot be saved outside of the grace of God. But we're going to see the definition of grace here. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, the false grace teachers never go to this passage. They don't want you to know about this passage. And there's a reason for that. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And we're, watch this. Teaching us. Those that are saved by grace are learning something. What is it? teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from all iniquity, not some, but all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar, that simply means special people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now, why did he go out of his way to say, speak this with full divine authority. Don't let any man despise you. Just for the, the same reason that you and I, who are contending earnestly for the, the original gospel faith, uh, are experiencing that so many people want to rail against you and get upset with you and start a fire star storm of uh, debate or attack because you tell them what the Bible says clearly. And that's because they're living in sin. They believe and they've been told and they were gullible enough and rebellious enough to go by what they heard from man uh, that they, instead of reading God's word for themselves, but they've been told that everything's going to be all right. Just like in the days of Jeremiah, just like we just read, where they were saying that they were judgment-proof, you know? Uh, no evil shall come upon you, is what the false teachers taught them. 
you shall have peace. Jeremiah chapter 23, and that is verse 17, which is one of the verses. But you'll see this throughout history. See, there's no new thing under the sun. The fact that this Titus 2, 11 through 14 passage is never even mentioned by today's self-proclaimed grace teachers. You know, frauds like John MacArthur, the devil, John Piper, and all uh, all these other uh, false teachers that call themselves grace teachers. They're never going to talk about that passage. And it's clear evidence. That is clear evidence that these are the very satanic wolves, the ungodly men that Jude warned us about, who are turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, which simply means a license for sin. When God, who is holy, 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 says that sin defiles, Mark 7, 20 through 23, he literally comes out and says that sin defiles you. And if you're defiled and you die defiled, you're going to be separated from God for eternity. And you're going to a place called hell, which will later be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20. In our blindness, due to our own heart rebellion and our refusal to repent, we've forgotten or never even learned that God is holy, holy, holy. And that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And that is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. You see, God desires to make us whole. He says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It will be separated from me, he says. Ezekiel 18, 4. Sin defiles, and God's grace is greater, and yet he will not apply his balm of healing that only he can apply unless the sinner turns back to him, repents, and brings forth words of confession of sin. When God's people were falling away from him in their sin, he beckoned, he called them back to himself. Hosea 14, verse 1 and 2. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. Return. I love it. That's synonymous with repent. Notice, return, turn again. Turn afresh, return, return. Unto the Lord thy God, he said, for thou, thou art fallen by thine iniquity. There it is. Sin separates from God. They were fallen away from him, as Jesus said is possible. Luke 8, 13, and promised that some would fall away. Thou art fallen, how? By thine iniquity. Why? Because God's holy, holy, holy. Anybody who's not going to be separated unto him and in his definition of holiness, not man's, okay, is fallen. Why? Because they chose iniquity over him. So Israel was fallen by that iniquity, he said. Take with, now he tells them how to get back right with him because he loves them. He's not willing that any should perish. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our list. In other words, we turn back to you. We ask you to forgive us. We confess our sins and let the fruit of our lives reflect your work in us truly. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord, my friend, to underscore the level of degradation, the disdain 
called the holiness of God, I reflect upon a recent upheaval that I spoke to you a minute ago, I believe, about where I put forth the truth that you're saved, you must stay saved. And I mean, it's set up, set off a firestorm like I've never seen before. Okay, these people are not Bible believers. They want to believe parts of the Bible that they think and they take out of context gives them a license to live in sin. They want to quote John 10, 28, 29, where it says that no man can pluck you out of God's hands. But Jesus gave a, a condition for that. Verse 27, they don't even know it exists. Every time you show it, one of these people, this verse, they have no clue it's even there because the false teachers that they allowed to mislead them only look at verse 28 and 29. But the promise of Jesus to not be taken out of the Father's hand is contingent upon you hearing his voice and following him. And that's present tense. That's synonymous with abiding in Christ. That means remaining intimately in fellowship on his terms with him. John 15. Okay. What? Listen, Paul talks about, we're talking about defile, the defilement of sin. If sin doesn't defile a person, then God is no longer holy, holy, holy. So God, the immutable God, as Paul put it, who said, I am the Lord, I change not, Malachi 3, 6, has now changed according to these uh, absolute heretics, these enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, if sin doesn't defile a man, no matter what his past relationship with God is, then that must mean God has ceased to be holy. And somebody might say, well, his grace is so great that it overrides. That's what a lot of people think. But let me just throw you some facts here, because numbers don't lie. Am I right about that? Now, let me ask you a question. Which word, which truth slash word, appears more times in the Bible, grace or holiness. Okay, with your current knowledge of the Word of God, or what you've been led to believe, what appears more in the Bible, grace or holiness? Let me just show you this. Grace and holiness, first of all, come from God, period. And they are defined by God, not man. Okay, now, if you've been misled by these frauds these that Jude warned us about, these ungodly men are atoning the grace of God to lasciviousness, God wants you to repent of following man and not him, and not committing yourself to him. Because uh, Titus 2, as we just read, 11 through 14, give a completely different definition of, of uh, grace as being an enabler for overcoming all iniquity. Okay, while these false teachers teach you that grace gives you a license to live in sin, whether they come out and say it or not. So why is one of the these these two, that is, truths and words, grace and holiness, why is one of them so overwhelmingly overemphasized by today's pastors and self-appointed grace teachers when the other is prioritized of God? So in your mind, again, what comes to your mind as far as what appears more in the Bible, grace or holiness? Are you ready for the answer? Let's do the math. Let's compare grace and holiness in the Bible. Okay, and I'm always talking about the Bible for the English-speaking people, which would be the King James Bible. 
Notice, holiness appears in Scripture 654 times. Holy holiness, holy and holiness, okay? Different forms of the same word. Notice 654 times. Grace appears only 170 times. Yet many preach all grace and never even mention the word holiness, much less teach thoroughly through the Bible on holiness, which we're doing today. Okay, and that alone reveals that these people are accursed. They're preaching another gospel. Notice 170 times grace appears in the Bible. Holy and holiness appears a total of 654 times. So that's basically more than three times. That is more than three times as many times as holiness in the Bible. Incredible. On top of that, only one attribute of God appears in triplicate, not only once, but twice. No other attribute of God appears in triplicate even once. And holy, holy, holy appears in God's word twice. Isaiah 6-3, Revelation 4-8. The phrase grace, grace, grace appears nowhere in the Bible. Now that right there should give you somewhat of a scope of the importance of God. He is holy, holy, holy. He's unchanging. I am the Lord. I change not. He's not going to change. Let me finish with this. I know I've gone on a long time, but you know what? This right here will put some meat on your bones, beloved, as far as spiritual maturity. I want you to go through all these scriptures and, uh, and learn them and teach them to others. Okay? Because little do they realize in their blindness that all who die in sin will be damned into hell irrevocably. Listen to this as we close. Ezekiel 32, 12 and 13. Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. Wow. As for the wickedness of the wicked, see, this is how God looks at people. He looks at how they're doing right now, presently. Not what they were in the past. Either way, whether you were evil or righteous in the past. That's what this, that's one of the main things we're learning here about God. He tells us here in Ezekiel 33, 12 and 13. And the Bible says that the Old Testament was written for our learning. Because God hadn't changed. Therefore, thou son of man, let me read it again. Say unto the children of thy people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him. In the day of his transgression. In other words, if you go back into sin, your past righteousness is forgotten. Then he says, as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day of, that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. When I shall say to the righteous... That he shall surely live. In other words, once you, when, when God saves you and gives you the assurance that you have eternal life. Then he says, if he trust in his own righteousness, oh boy, and commit iniquity, all his righteousnesses 
shall not be remembered, but for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. God bless you, friends. <clears throat> Thank you for listening and for praying for the outreach, the fruitfulness of the ministry. Let us know how we can help you in any way. God bless you. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, uh, edifying podcast on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with uh, uh, several, many books on there for your uh, edification in Christ. They're all scripture rich and Christ centered. Also tens of thousands uh, of saints and sinners are being reached every month. And uh, your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit uh, our donate page on the site. And uh, uh, you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach uh, is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and uh, all over the world. And uh, may God be praised that uh, there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together, in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.